Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing leading CISOs in the industry for a light conversation about anything from their favorite drinks to favorite vendor to key influencers, biggest accomplishments and failures, myths they like to debunk, advice they want to give out, and even some tips they can extend to the eager vendor who's knocking on their door. Join us for a light talk. I encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Dear listeners, today we'll be talking with Moni Givol. Moni is a cybersecurity veteran. He has spent the last 20 odd years in various cybersecurity positions in various industries. He spent some time at a large manufacturing company in the mobile industry, then moved on to banking, homeland security, travel. He held the position of head of global cybersecurity, of cybersecurity excellence over at Cisco and more. He currently holds the position of CISO at Ironsource, a giant in the mobile ad space for game companies. Welcome, Ani. Hi, how are you? I'm, gl- I'm good. Glad to have you here. Um, if you want to you know, give a quick background introduction about yourself, that would be awesome. Sure. So I've been in security for around 21 years now. Um, it's, I think, one of the first thing I did after my military service. and. Um, I liked it, so I stayed. Uh, I spent uh, the first few years, you know, uh, working in security companies as a consultant and also working as part of the security teams, growing my uh, skills and later on being a team leader and a CISO. Um, I worked in a few interesting places along the way as a head of security and CISO, and then I moved to the vendor side, uh, working for Cisco, leading the Cyber Center of Excellence, uh, which also opened me to, you know, uh, seeing how we, the attackers work, you know, until then I was more focused on how to defend the organization, but now leading a service organization that has services around uh, attackers perspective that kind of opened my mind to other perspectives. Um, I moved to Accenture later on to lead the, the financial services security department for Iberia. And uh, now I got back to the CISO role and I'm an iron source. Okay, thank you for that. And uh, Iron Cells Source, can you? Uh, although you know the the our conversation will not be focused on Iron Source, but did you just want to provide some color to to what the company does? Sure. So uh, we're at uh, the ad network uh, industry. Basically, it's a network of publishers and supply side that we help our customers, which are you know guys who develop games or companies. Uh, to monetize and have users uh, using our platform. So uh, if you see in games advertisements, and that's something that we do. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. a very shallow description. We do a lot of other things. We have many divisions within Iron Source to do other stuff, but uh, that's the, if you go to the one liner of Iron Source, that's what we, we're known for. <laughs> okay. Great, thanks. Uh, and uh, you know, I usually ask a couple of uh, icebreaker questions here. Uh, what's your marital status? I'm married. I have three kids. Um, okay. That's uh, yeah. You know, some guys have to add, as far as I know, but I, <laughs> I know I know all my kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And favorite drink? Um, I don't think I have, well, I don't know, beer or whiskey, but it depends who I'm drinking with. So oh. I'm not against any drink. I think, uh, you know, it depends on the company. The company and the mood maybe as well, right? Yeah. Exactly. 
yeah exactly. you you have a, it's a different state of mind to be drinking beer as opposed to single malt as opposed to arak right uh, i'm not sure uh, everybody <laughs> will know arak but yeah, yeah. Uh, we have similar uh, dnis based drinks yeah and uzo and this kind of exactly um okay uh, so let's dive right in uh so i'm gonna ask you you know I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. We're going to have like a very high level conversation here. Some of those questions, you know, I I repeat them and I, I've been asking a lot of other CISOs as well, the same questions. My, my goal here is, you know, mostly to collect data, to provide some value to our listeners and to basically uh, provide an insight to the way uh, CISO thinks. And, and And this is my goal right now. Um, so I'm going to dive right in and, you know, we can go off script if you like, or, and, and you can expand as much as you want. Um, but let's get started. Uh, what's the one thing you wish you'd known when you began your career? That's interesting. Um, I, I think maybe, uh, and I see because someone reminded me that recently they didn't kind of occur to me, but. You don't have to be right all the time or, you know, fight for your goals and convince other people that how, you know, you have this notion of how aren't they, they seeing what am I, my, I'm seeing, you know, it would save me a lot of effort and unnecessary effort uh, trying to convince anyone, you know, that you have to do it in a secure way, etc. So we, when you're young in this field, you kind of, you know, you have a lot of motivation to try and conquer the world or boil the ocean or, you know, some other notion, but at the end of the day, I think it, it brings a lot of unnecessary effort. So go back and tell myself, be more patient, you know, understand the, the entire picture. And I see it a lot, you know, recently with the employees that I have and people I talk to. So yeah. I, that was the kind of one thing. Yeah, so basically to be more patient and maybe know your place. And, and you know, I, I can attest to myself, you know, when you're younger, you usually you're impatient, right? You, you don't want to wait too long. You think you know best, especially if you, you know, have like a, I don't know, like a couple of certificates behind you and maybe, you know, one, two years of expertise. But yeah, uh, I think time has a tendency to, to provide some humbling, uh, some humbling experiences, let's just say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's your biggest failure and what did you take out from it? I don't, I hope I don't have, you know, one that I can crown as the biggest, but uh, I think I maintain a nice level of constant small failures uh, <laughs> to keep me in check and uh, to learn from and to prevent me from, you know, being, you know, finding that one big failure. I had a lot of failures, you know, during my career, numerous ones that, but, you know, none of them had an impact that severe that I can, you know, remember it as something like a game changer that I always remember. So uh, if you take it, you know, the right way and you learn from it, I think that's the right place. One of the things I learned, I, I served in the Israeli Air Force is that the, the Israeli Air Force is, is known to be, you know, good at analyzing things, not trying to hide from it. And, you know, this is how you learn to improve yourself. So I tried to do that during my career too. Um, you know, small mm -hmm. failures, have them, you know, happening all the time and adjust. So, yeah. That's... So you tend to debrief after failure and you learn from it. Uh, yeah. Okay. 
think, and you know, a lot of uh, the security frameworks out there, whether it's, you know, ISO or maybe even SOC 2 or in others, they probably have a similar model to that. So you have, you know, the continu continuous improvement uh, life cycle that you need to yeah. keep, you know, measuring yourself and then improving. I think uh, it stems from the same places. Uh, but, you know, having touched about your, um, like the small failures, what would you say your biggest accomplishment if you could uh, net it down to one or to, possibly two? Okay. Uh, I think the, the, the second, well, I'll go with one. I think um, after a few years, I kind of realized that I, I, that was actually when I moved from being the CISO to the service side, to the vendor side. And I realized that, you know, our industry is kind of lacking in understanding the business that you work in. And it makes sense. You can, you know, create a, a service, well, the service you can, but a product that caters to specific industries and they don't really have context of the business you work in. So I started developing industry specific services. Uh, if I had customers in financial services, I went and learned their business, understand their needs and the risks that derive from the business itself. And then we fine tune the services to provide a solution and value to that. So, you know, if you look at a firewall, it doesn't know if you're in, you know, commerce, banking uh, or industry, but it is important to security because if you want to find your real attackers, you have to understand the business. So this is what I did uh, specifically in financial services or others, we found uh, specific areas that we can focus on, either it's uh, uh, trade rooms or, or ATMs or specific, uh, you know, areas in banking, we drilled down and understood the business to the bits and the bytes. And then we took that to the technology level and tried to use uh, attackers, defenders, you know, application level, everything covered and actually provide with good value to our customers. And it actually worked. Uh, and our customers weren't even IT guys. They were the business guys. They actually understood the risks that were derived from that. So I think that was uh, one interesting accomplishment. And I kind of moved on with that to other uh, industries and other places I worked with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, uh, I'm from time to time, I go into some cybersecurity forums and I look at discussions there. And it seems to me like the, you know, the gap between uh, an information security or cybersecurity veteran to a noob is definitely around that uh, understanding and perception that you know cybersecurity is not necessarily securing code, not necessarily you know installing and integrating firewalls and other um, security components. It's uh, first and foremost you need to understand the business. You need to understand like what is it that you're trying to, to that you're even trying to protect. Because once you have that understanding, you can be so much more focused and actually invest your limited budget where it matters the most and not just, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> you probably know of a few organizations that I'm referring to, but uh, that I'm thinking of, you know, you, you know, th this type of, these types of organizations that just buy products because they got a good deal from the vendor and they like the vendor. They then they a tiny toy. You need to play with it. Yeah. And yeah. You need about the old one that you actually left uh, not working as effective as it should be. And I think exactly. the best proof for that is that we see on a daily basis breaches going on, even in organizations that invest tens and millions in security and they have all the toys. I can tell you, you know, working, as I mentioned before, from the attacker perspective, we had services of red team uh, services. 
even companies that in, I won't name names of course, but we had companies that invest millions and we were able to get into their, you know, crown jewels within 48 to 72 hours, most of the time without being detected. So, you know, uh, yeah. having all the toys doesn't mean, you know, how to connect the dots and understand you're being attacked. So, uh, yeah, you need to keep in mind. Exactly. And, you know, I think the, the industry is an industry has been transitioning uh, for the past 10 years, maybe, maybe even more, uh, from, you know, an IT based industry to more a business perspective industry. So CISOs nowadays are not the same types of individuals that you were meeting with uh, like 10 years ago, maybe even less than that. You, you see that development in Europe too. Now you have the BISO, the business information security officer, which is actually a title, which is very common in Europe. So you need right. to be part of the business and, you know, provide the solutions to the business itself. And it makes sense. I, I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, moving on, what advice uh, would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Um, I don't know. Um, I took uh, maybe a different path uh, because I, I spent a lot of the time within companies and being a CISO, but then I left for seven, eight years to the, to the vendor side and services side, and then I got back. So uh, I think the, the, the pro with that is that it gave me other perspectives. So first of all, as I mentioned before, not just doing the defender side of work, but also the attacker side, but also looking at things from the vendor's perspective, not from the customer perspective. So it gives you a holistic approach to security. But uh, I think at the end of the day, you need to learn to look at the big picture, understand that there are many you know, forces within that game. Uh, security is not just one of them. You need to learn, as I mentioned before, the business. Uh, it's a bit of a cliche these days, but still being an enabler, you know, security is still perceived in a lot of organizations as a showstopper. Uh, you see you as the cop, as you know, the one that enforces things, but you need to understand and make sure the business, you know, is moving fast. Uh, as I mentioned also, understand the attacker mindset. You know, it's not, it's one thing to build defenses based on best practices and, you know, things you read, but if you don't understand what attackers want from you, you won't be able to defend it and learn all the time. Uh, we live in an industry, it's moving like a, a bullet, I don't know, someone said a bullet uh, with grease on it, so it's not just a fact. <laughs> so uh, you need to learn and keep, you know, being updated all the time. Okay, and, and, and what do you feel about the role of a CISO that's actually part of the IT organizations? As, as you know, and this goes back to, uh, to uh, a couple of questions back, I think, to, to the traditional role of a CISO. But uh, you still see companies out there that, you know, with, with CISOs that, that are actually a part of the IT organizations. And, you know, you have obviously pros and cons about that. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Sure. So the immediate answer would be that, you know, a CISO should be, you know, not under IT because it, you touch other aspects of the business, finance, HR. Uh, but um, I think it, it's a matter of, you know, what works. I've seen many organizations and I worked with many you know, organization structures when I was under the CEO or the, the president, but other organization where you're under the CFO or COO or CIO. Uh, I think uh, from my experience also working as a consultant in many organizations globally, uh, it depends on the organization's culture and on the people. Uh, if it works for you being with people that actually help you achieve your goals, that's the, 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 what you want to you know, 
achieve. Uh, currently, I'm working with the, under the CIO and it works perfectly and they understand that I have other touch points with other people in the organization. So it kind of works. I think the bigger, I, don't, I would say problem, and I know a lot of CISOs don't agree with me, is that we, we rushed into, you know, we wanted to be part of the big boys table. So we invented the role of the CISO. I'm not sure that it was, you know, part of the DNA or part of the involvement of, of the security roles because, you know, you have CIOs and CFOs and, and it's never an issue. Well, usually I'm generalizing here. It's, it's usually not an issue where he's situated within the organization. But as we discussed, you know, just a minute ago, I've been a CISO under the CEO or the CEO, which is, you know, where the CEO reports to him and then you have the CIO or VPIT or R&D, you know, you have all these kind of types of organizational structures, but most of the time the CISO does not report directly to, you know, a high level CILA. Um, so in my perspective, and again, it's my opinion only, I think we might rush it to get, you know, like I said, the seat at the big guy's table, but they weren't, you know, happy about it. So it takes time, I think. It's going to take more time for the CISO role to be, you know, recognized as a real C-level executive. And and by the way, from your experience, and uh, you know, just uh, uh, as a side question here, do you think uh, do you think it's different uh, culturally? I mean, if you compare the U.S. to Europe to, let's say, Israel, do you think uh, it's it's different in the U.S. that you have more CISOs that are part of the big boys and big girls tables? Yeah, definitely. And also, uh, it's, it's, I wouldn't say a cultural thing, but, you know, you, you have a lot of companies that are uh, big organizations and, you know, in Israel, it's less common to have these big organizations. So dealing with these kind of structures and, you know, it, it's not very common unless you have foreign companies within Israel. So it's different. Uh, and I saw that earlier in my career, and that was also why I decided to move from the CISO. Uh, I, I was a CISO of a big company, an international one, and I didn't see, you know, a path of advancement. Uh, yeah. It was more sidestepping or even going back to doing other roles than a CISO because you didn't have so many like today when you have a lot of big startups in Israel. So the, the market was limited and the choices were limited and a lot of the CISO seats were taken. So um, this is why I decided to move from the CISO role. But Today, I think it's different and it kind of relates to the culture in abroad in Europe and the US, you have bigger companies, you have more options. Uh, you have SMBs, which are, you know, if you compare that to Israel and SMB in the US is a giant company in Israel. Yeah, that's, so that's the options are, are a lot bigger and it allows you to, you know, um, to find your place. And also getting back to your question is, you know, yeah, you have more, uh, it's more common to have C real C-level uh, CISOs and especially in, you know, financial institutions and, you know, more uh, traditional companies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, thinking back, what would you say were the best resources that have helped you along the way in your career? Okay. So I kind of started before the era of Google. So uh, we actually, <laughs> yeah, now everything is so, you know, available. Uh, you had to rely on friends, colleagues, uh, a lot of shadowing, a lot of on-the-job training, uh, you had to, at least I had the, you know, the opportunity to work with amazing people when I started. So they give me the right tools, you know, to be able to, you know, advance myself. So, yeah. And, and of course, later on in my career, of course, the internet came in. Well, it's not that the internet wasn't there, but it wasn't that available. 
information about security wasn't that available. When I wanted to learn, I had a project to do database security for a big bank in Europe. There weren't any books or information on the internet. So you read about databases on a thick book and then you try to understand, okay, what can I do with security with that or consult someone that already did. So, uh, and I think it's a broader way of learning things because then you're being exposed to things that you might not necessarily need, but again, you learn from that. So you have a broader perspective again on things. So learning from people, colleagues, you know, having a network of trusted people that you can consult with, that always helps. Yeah, and I think uh, that was the time where everybody were buying those books, the black and yellow books, uh, XXX for dummies, something for dummies, yeah. TCPIP for dummies, uh, you know, network security for dummies, all those books. So Riley books with the nice animals on them. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, can you name three individuals that have been most influential to you? Well, career-wise, uh, yeah, I'll go back to what I already mentioned. I think when I started, my first colleagues, they were more, more of my mentors. Uh, one of them is Ophir Alkin, which is an amazing security guy. I, still to this day, I look up to him and, you know, he taught me most of the things that I know and uh, gave me the, the basics. Also, Ella Schwartz, who is uh, another one that I work with a lot. Um, both of them I met at ITCon, which was the first company I worked as a consultant. And these guys were amazing. They taught me most of the things I know and I had, you know, real good people to learn from. I was very lucky. So, so I'm, I'm going to tag Eris Schwartz on, on this podcast as well. He's actually a dear friend. We, he lives uh, 10 minutes f- from my place. We, last time we met was probably, we actually met during COVID one time when, when we, we, we could still go out. Uh, but uh, he was yeah. actually my trainer too. I learned from him. So I get yeah. so uh, that also helps. Yeah, and it certainly helps that you're afraid of him physically, right? So, because you you know what <laughs> you, you can do. <laughs> He's the nicest guy in the world, but yeah, you should be <laughs> what he can do. Okay. Um, uh, what's the one common myth about your profession that you want to debunk? I think the biggest one is uh, the analogy that we use, that attackers versus defenders. This is something that always makes me laugh because if we look at things realistically, I would describe it as an adult taking a candy from a baby. You know, let's not give ourselves a pat on the back that it's a real battle. At the end of the day, we're mostly losing to the attackers if we still go back to that analogy. So I think that's one myth that we need to take out the equation. And um, I think, you know, another myth is that vendors try to solve your problems. They're trying to sell, so you know, don't keep uh, hoping that they will be the ones that will save. He's like, I think the two myths I, and I worked as a vendor a lot, so I know this. You know, that's not on their top priority solving the customers' problems. So uh, I think these two are the ones that uh, kind of keep uh, in the back of my mind when I think of our uh, industry. Okay. Uh... So can you share, like, uh, in, in your opinion, and again, it doesn't have to relate specifically to your current place of employment, but uh, in your opinion, what's the, what are the main concerns that CISOs nowadays have, like, in general? Um, one of the things I'm seeing lately in the recent years is there's a growing gap between security people and the people that actually do the work. So now it's DevOps or DevSecOps, you know, or developers in the, in the cloud. 
uh, there's a growing gap between understanding how they work, what they do. Uh, you know, I, I saw one security guy asking the DevOps guy, how many servers we have? And he left in his face. Uh, what do you mean how server, How many servers we have? That's like a question from 2000. So it's not realistic. You need to understand, you know, things are advancing in a rapid way. And I think that's a big concern that we need to close uh, unless, you know, something's going to change and we might have uh, a CISO for cloud and a CISO for corporate. Uh, because, you know, the guys that are concerned about the corporate won't be able to match, you know, the pace of the cloud. So that's a big concern that I'm seeing. And uh, I think uh, we're also missing a lot of, you know, skilled people in these areas. So yep. um, it's like uh, trying to find, a, someone told me, a pink unicorn, you know, trying <laughs> to find good people in, that have cloud security expertise. Yeah, that's true. Um, can you share, you know, briefly, like what's your daily routine looks like? Um, I start in the morning reading about security and what's going on, you know, in our world. Not that I'm able to cover everything because so many things are happening. So I'm trying to focus on a few, you know, blogs or uh, Twitter accounts or, uh, you know, LinkedIn groups or some websites that I read constantly or feeds that I have. I do that for an hour, an hour and a half, and then, you know, it's back to the trenches and working. So meetings and meeting with vendors and, you know, trying to solve our security problems. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the regular routine. Okay. Now, in terms of uh, budget planning, like, have you seen changes or change of trends from 2020 to 2021? Yeah, I see, I'm not sure it's just between 2020 and 2021 because, you know, the attack surfer keeps still growing. Uh, and you also, you know, if you, I like to check security in terms of maturity. If, you know, I take, I don't know, some scale from zero to five. And, you know, I think that based on what my company needs to be in, in specific areas, of course, it's not one area. You need to, you know, divide it into different areas. I want to, you know, grow from zero or one to four because that's, you know, uh, based on, you know, my attack surface and based on my uh, adversaries, potential adversaries, I need to be in a different level. So that affects my budget plans also. And then you need to prioritize which area you, you want to focus on because you can't, you know, try to boil the ocean. You can try, but usually you'll fail. Uh, and and of, of course, you have the constraints of the capacity to handle those things. You know, growing the budget is, is easy. Well, not a lot of the times, but it's more easy than actually doing the work. And when you don't deliver, everything gets hurt. Uh, you know, working with your peers, other departments, you know, uh, wasting their time. So at the end of the day, I, I see uh, a need for a bigger budget, uh, but you need to invest it wisely. Okay. Um, a quick question about, you know, uh, and, and this is the, the, the next section, we'll, we'll be speaking a bit about vendors, not too, not too long. But um, like, if you could step into my shoes as you know, as the CEO of a consulting group, what would you have asked yourself that you that I might uh, that I might have that I might haven't asked myself? And you, and you've been in my role. You've been in a yeah, in, the, in yeah. the vendor's role. I've done that, yeah. and I kept reminding myself, remember that you were the guy at the other side of the table not long ago. And and this is I can you know say that enough. Listen to your customer needs. You know, listen to them. Uh, a lot of the times we come in and we try to, you know, do a sales pitch or, you know, uh, persuade the customer or educate them uh, and don't do that. 
listen to your customer, understand what they really need, what their pain points are. There's a lot of, you know, there's a perception a lot of the times in consultancy firms that the customers doesn't know what they know, what they need. A lot of the times it's really true. They don't, but don't try to educate them, you know, so you, you need to go to a place where they trust you, start a journey to become their trusted advisor. Don't try to sell them like other, you know, 10 other companies that came before you and gonna come after you. Don't show them, you know, the sales pitch. Try to understand and give real value. A lot of the times companies come with an idea, let's do this service, it's gonna be great, we're gonna sell a lot of it, but does it provide any real uh, value to the customer? So invest a lot of, you know, understanding the customer needs and adapting to what they want. Don't try mm -hmm. to educate them, don't try to sell to them, be their partner. So I think that worked for me. And when I did the, this kind of role and I talked to, you know, other CISOs or other CIOs, uh, at the end of the day, they want to understand that they get value from you. The second you start doing that, you, you know, you show them that you can provide value, they'll trust you. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I wanted to clarify that point when you say don't educate them, because in my experience, I mean, it's true that nobody wants to be educated, uh, you know, just upon meeting you before they know you but I feel that you know and I think it goes back to what you just said that if they trust you or if you reach like a certain level of trust and you're able to actually provide real value and actually you know talk with them and provide insights that they didn't have like a minute before this is when they start trusting you and this is when the transition happens and then they will want you to educate them on specific areas where they don't have like any clarity yeah, totally. on I totally agree with that. Uh, and my, my meaning was out of the gate coming, you know, to the yeah. first five minutes, don't try to educate him, earn that. It's a process. Of course, they'll trust you. The minute they know you, you know, you can provide real, you know, education. Don't do it in a condescending way. You know, a lot of the times they come in, you might like, know that, let me show you something you didn't think about, you know. Yeah, yeah. Don't do that in the first five, 10 minutes. Uh, you know, be patient, earn their trust. And then, of course, you know, it's, it's like, any relationship in any other way and any other place in the world. You start talking to people, you get to know them, and then you try to talk to them. Not, you know, the first minute you try to, to spill on them your entire uh, sales deck and try to persuade them that that's what they need. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, definitely agree. And, and touching on, uh, you know, sales pitches and vendor management, what's the most annoying sales pitch that you've encountered? I have to pick one. Uh, I don't <laughs> think there is one, but I, I actually, um, I know this is something that a lot of CISOs say that, you know, they don't like the vendor relationships because uh, they cross the line most of the time. I try to be as patient as I can with most vendors. So, um, but, so I, I can't say I have a lot of, you know, people that cross the line because I'm trying to build a relationship. I listen to everyone that approaches me. That doesn't mean that everyone should approach me now, but uh, I try to give them the, the time and, you know, try to sell me something, but not right away. Don't send me your entire pizza, you know, within the LinkedIn message or call me or do that. Don't cross the line. Do it, uh, you know, in a, in a nice way. Uh, and then, you know, the pitch is more, more you know, relatable. Uh, I can't say that I suffered a lot of them. I met many vendors, but I don't know, somehow I'm able to kind of, prevent you know getting these annoying sales pitches okay just <laughs> uh 
so what it is, and you might have answered this um, in, in the, during the previous question, but what it is that you are looking for in a vendor? For me, it's very simple, value, real value. You need to provide real value. Um, a lot of the times, again, as I mentioned before, I've been in the vendor side, you have a great idea, you think you can, you know, um, build or, or, you know, do some sort of a solution, but it doesn't mean that, you know, it solves a problem that I have. At the end of the day, I have, you know, real issues that I need addressed. Um, if you plan your, you know, roadmap or your product roadmap, you know, based on what you see as, you know, the best option for you, it doesn't mean that it correlates with my needs. Of course you do, you know, you have product people that handle the requests and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I need something to provide real value. I won't buy something that kind of solves my problem and the other side of it is I brought a huge product that provides other things, but I don't necessarily need them. So it's not lean anymore. It's very, you know, it, it requires a lot of work, uh, maintaining it, integrating it, working on it. So for me, value is the first thing I look for. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, succinct. What's the, uh, so is there any way vendors can approach you in a non-intrusive manner? Because you just mentioned, you know, you don't want anyone to cross the line and I totally respect that. Is there any way you, you can think of that would work? As I mentioned before, just don't cross the line. Be nice. You know, I'll be nice back to you. I promise I'll get back to you. It might make me a day or two, uh, but at the end of the day, I, I try to get back to everyone, give them a chance, to, you know, to talk to me and show me what they have. I might say, I already know it. I might say, I'm not interested. It's not in my plans. You know, it's a legitimate answer. So if you have a conversation that is respectful, I think that's the best way, at least from my experience. Again, if you cross the line and a lot of them try to, uh, it's not gonna work. I'm just gonna ignore you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where are can, our listeners, where can they uh, connect with you online? Well, I have LinkedIn, I have Twitter. Not very active, but uh, I'm more active in LinkedIn. Um, that's basically it. I'm not a big uh, advertiser of, uh, I don't know, I don't have Facebook or Instagram. Uh, so basically LinkedIn, Twitter. Okay. Uh, is there one thing you can, uh, you know, pinpoint and in, in being the single most important thing to you in your career? Uh, I think uh, I'm lucky enough to like the work that I'm doing, enjoying the work and having the passion, you know, as the day I started. Uh, it's probably something you hear all the time, uh, but I think it's common for security guys. It, it's a different type of work and I think a lot of us enjoy it. Uh, it's constantly new. You have, you know, you can go different ways. I have a lot of passion, you know, doing security as the same as the day I started. So. As long as that exists, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, learning new things all the time, not thinking, you know, that it, it, I've been in security for 20 years. I had that, you know, it, it already happened to me after 15 years that I thought I was kind of, yeah, I know a thing or two. And then you get, you know, <laughs> a surprise. You don't really know that much because you didn't notice this and that. So um, I think that's an amazing thing that after 20 years, you can still learn something from scratch that you haven't heard about. So I think it's an amazing industry and enjoying the work is, is the most important thing to me. Yes, it's definitely, you know, there's an abundance of, of, of knowledge there that you can tap into. So um, in cybersecurity, 
so we're, we're gonna wrap this up in like uh, one or two questions from, from now. Uh, so one of the questions I, I like to ask, uh, if, you had a, if you had unlimited funds, what would you do with your life? Wow, that's an amazing question. Um, mostly nothing. Uh, I wouldn't work probably. I would try to find things I like, maybe hobbies, stuff like that. But uh, other than that, enjoy life, enjoy my kids, uh, try to find, you know, things to do with them. I don't know, maybe it's not a thing right now, but travel, you know, get the family and travel around the world. But uh, yeah, don't oh. work and enjoy. <laughs> and I yeah. think that's basically find the things that you like to actually do. You know, we constructed a way of life these days that, you know, you spend most of your day working, especially now in COVID, you work even more and kind of, you know, the life work balance got shifted and, and, you know, you have two, three hours to actually spend with people you actually want to be with. Uh, so I would definitely and happily remove that part from my life and, you know, try to enjoy it more. Yeah. Well, I, I'm assuming you have like uh, at least two years of planning your next travel before things will get back to normal. But uh, <laughs> that's just me oh, being hope pessimistic. Yeah. yeah. Hope not. But uh, unfortunately, I think that's the case. But um, anyway, just a final question here. Do you have do you have like a favorite book or something that you've read or listened to recently that uh, that has inspired you and you wanted to share? Um, I listened to a lot of podcasts recently, uh, most of them not around security, but I learned a few things that I want to implement in my life, but, uh, I'm very good at planning and, you know, the minute I hear something, I'm going to plan, I'm, go I'm starting to plan, yeah, I'm going to do this tomorrow and the next day, but unfortunately, uh, in the last few years, I haven't been able to do it, but, uh, things about, you know, uh, there's a guy called Wim Hof. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard of him, it's called, uh, I think he runs naked in the snow and oh. kind of, you know, yeah, he does a lot of things that are in, you know, around breathing right and, you know, actually learning how to control your body in a better way. So that's very interesting to me because I like, I, I'm, most of the time I'm not cold too, so it's interesting to me to understand if it's something physical or something you can control with. And when I saw him and how he kind of, you know, defines the, the the rules of i don't know uh, biology and physics and you know he's being tested in labs and he basically says i learned the breathing technique and i'm just using it not not you know nothing else so uh so he's I'm running naked find... in the in the snow and he's not cold. Yeah, you can see his, his channel on youtube is called wim hof he's a dutch guy and he trains other people to do it he takes them to the river and they just jump in and you know just uh you know, very cold water and it teaches them how to breathe and they adapt very quickly. Well, not very quickly, it takes time, but I think it's very interesting the way that you can control things, you know, just by thinking about it or doing specific things. So that kind of, uh, I liked it and I would like to, I don't know, try it, maybe okay. do some training around it. So, so I guess your neighbors should be thankful that uh, you don't get too much snow in Israel, right? Yeah, but don't be surprised if you see me running with my underwear in the rain or <laughs> or just don't call the cops. Okay, once you have that video on, I can uh, link it and tag it to this podcast if you like. Uh, up to you. 
<laughs> okay, uh, I think we're out of time here and I want to be respectful of your time and I know uh, you're about to start the weekend over in Israel. So let me take this opportunity to thank you, Moni, for taking your time and, you know, having this uh, nice chat with me. Hopefully your uh, insights would resonate with, you know, some of our listeners um, and, um, you know, and would provide real value. Uh, I, I know, I know I've learned a lot here. I keep learning from every one of the conversations that I'm, that I'm having with different seasons. Uh, it's really, it's really insightful. So uh, thank you again for taking the time. Glad to have you here. Thank you, thank you for joining us for another episode of CISO's Insiders. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more professional content, please check us out on social media.